Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome once again on a beautiful Sunday morning to the Digital Cathedral. Welcome to all of you that are viewing from around uh, the United States of America and also from other countries. It's always good to gather in together in the big family on Sunday morning. So I want to finish up this, this morning on a little two-part series that we have done. The, the title's not fancy, but I think it's, it's an essential teaching on uh, Paul being the one that we recognize as our theologian. And Paul was, Paul was really strict about his message. I mean, he received a message from Jesus personally by revelation, and Paul became very staunch in that message in getting it out to the Gentiles. I want to I read two scriptures this morning that shows you how bold Paul really was and how firm, firmly entrenched he was in making sure that this message that he had was never diluted in any way, shape, or form. And then I'm going to go as far as I can uh, in the time that we have. I got a lot that I'd like to say this morning, so we'll just get as far as we can go. And when our time is up, we'll, we'll go ahead and end it. But I want to talk to you about Paul being the man that Jesus personally appointed as the theologian to the Gentiles. All right, let me start over in Galatians chapter 1. I want you to check, check out how firm Paul was in, de in declaring the message that he had. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said to the Galatian church, he said, I marvel that you have turned so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some that trouble you that want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, is what makes this gospel of Paul unique. When we compare it to um, what Paul called another gospel, what are some distinctions? How can we draw some lines of distinction so that we can recognize if what we're hearing is the gospel that Paul taught or if it's another gospel? So Paul says... Uh, I'm shocked that you guys have turned so fast. You heard the gospel of grace, and now you have turned your back on it. And he said, um, which really isn't another gospel, but there are some that trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul looked at it like this. He said, anything that comes in other than what I have taught you, any additions, any, any uh, uh, aversions or... Uh, you know, rabbit trails off of what I taught. He said, it's, it's a total perversion of the gospel. He says in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what I have preached to you, uh, he, Paul, this is strong. He said, let him be accursed. Now, with that in mind, flip over to Galatians chapter 2 and look how, look how adamant and defensive Paul was about his gospel. It said, now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to face because he was to be blamed. Now watch what he's going to blame Paul, Peter for. He said, for before certain men came from uh, James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So he's saying, Peter, here's what happened, buddy. When, you, when there was no Jews around, when the religious people weren't there, then you were able to walk in this message of grace that I've given to you. But what happened? As soon as some religious people came up, then all of a sudden you adopted and went back to being a religious guy. So Peter said, I'm not going to put up with that. That's not the gospel that I teach. The gospel that I teach is a grace gospel that frees you from all that religion would try 
to pin upon you. So he goes uh, on to say in verse uh, 12, for before certain men came from, from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those that were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. All right, so you, we need to firmly fix in our mind that Paul is the guy that was picked by Jesus to carry to the Gentiles and to all that would listen that, in fact, they are no longer under the law. In fact, in fact, Gentiles, you were never under the law to begin with. So it was a message that was free from law. It was packed full of the benefits uh, that were freely given to us as sons. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Paul never taught discipleship. He never taught discipleship. Paul's message was to awaken the sons, those that were already sons, to their true identity and the inheritance they, that they have in Christ. So the, the, the message switched with Paul from discipleship to sonship. Paul's message was always to awaken us to who we've always been, to awaken us to our sonship, to implant within us right identity. Now, the old covenant message was to make disciples, followers of Jesus, right? But that was not Paul's message. Jesus' message was to the Jews. <clears throat> and uh, even Jesus' own words, he said that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, you need to keep that in mind when you read the Gospels. When you read what Jesus said and what Jesus taught, you need to keep audience in mind. It's, a, it's one of the principles of hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. You need to know who's being spoken to. And in the case of Jesus, when he taught, he was speaking to the Jews. And when Jesus taught, he had a specific goal in mind. And it was to bring the Jews to a place where they finally figured out they could not, within themselves, through their own discipline, hard work, they could not keep the law. So Jesus oftentimes would teach the Jews to the end, to the end view, to get them to throw their hands up and say, we just can't do that. For, for example, Jesus uh, taught one time, he said, you have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. Okay, so there are a lot of Jews sitting there, very prideful. We've never done that. We've kept ourselves not in an adulterous situation. So now Jesus takes the law to a level they can't, he knows they can't keep. And that's what he often did. So he says, but I say to you that even when you look on someone to lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart and whatever you've committed in your heart, you've already in reality committed it. So do you see what Jesus was doing? Jesus Jesus taught us ethics. Jesus teaches morals. Jesus teaches the kingdom. But when it comes to theology, when it comes to laying down the finished work of the cross, when it comes, when it comes to, to, to unveiling to us everything that we possess that grace has given to us, when it comes to just solid, let me say it like this, when it comes to solid systematic theology, then Paul is the man, right? Jesus taught Jews Jesus was bringing them to a place where they could not keep the law. He labored, he labored night and day to bring them to a place where they said, it's impossible to keep. And then Jesus would say, if they ever came to that place, Jesus would say, now you got it. Now you got it figured out. Now you know why I'm here. I'm here to bring you out from under that whole mess. So the, 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 the battle that Paul faced continually was with Judaizers. 
Judaizers were the sect of Christians that, yes, recognized Jesus. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. However, we need to bring some of the Old Testament law with us. See if this doesn't sound like most churches. That, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but there's still some of the laws that we need to keep. And oftentimes the laws that churches feel they need to keep are laws that the churches themselves have instituted. A Judaizer felt, yeah, we, we, Jesus is good, but in order to really be saved, in order to be saved, you need to be circumcised. So Paul was fighting that all of the time. Wherever he went, he would, he would preach liberty. He would preach the gospel. He would preach freedom. He would preach grace. And then, as we just read in Galatians chapter 1, Paul would follow up and say, you guys are blowing my minds here. I can't believe that you have moved so quickly from the gospel that I came and gave to you, and you have now fallen off to another gospel. And the, the other gospel that they would fall off to, every time would be what Paul preached with some additions to it. Always something to do, something to keep, something that we had to live up to. So this message that Paul taught was a very distinctive message. And what I want to do this morning is I want to draw some distinctions between what Paul taught and what he called another gospel. Because I want, when you hear a message, you should know whether you're hearing a real deal or not. You should know whether it's the message that Paul taught or whether it's, it's a gospel that somebody has added to, that has, that has been tweaked in order to serve a religion or a denomination or a particular theological position. So let's look at some things. Last week we started this. I'm finishing up this morning. Last week we said the first thing that made Paul's message distinctive is that it was Christocentric. In other words, it is Christ-centered. So how do you know if a message is Christocentric? How do you know if it's Christ-centered? Real quick, let me, let me draw for you three contrasts between the message that Paul taught that is Christocentric and another gospel. All right, number one, let me give you three, three contrasts that you can, you can see very simply. Paul's gospel leads you to trust in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. It's Paul's gospel is Jesus plus nothing. All right, another gospel will automatically lead you to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it will lead you then to begin to trust and to develop an ability to... Uh, Depend on your decisions, your choices. Uh, it, it's, it's what I call the if-then gospel. The if-then gospel, another gospel is not Christ-centered, not Christ says this, that if you do this, then Jesus will do that. You know, if, if you're circumcised, then he will save you. Let me give you two real quick examples out of Scripture of, of a message that is not Christ-centered. I, I want to pull one from the Old Testament, and I, and I want you just to, to see and apply this now to where uh, a lot of folks live today. Let's look at, at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 <clears throat> and verses 1 and 2. Now, here's the if then. And this is, I understand this is Old Covenant, but I think you can see the pattern and how we've taken this pattern and brought it over. And in fact, this is this is very well duplicated in a lot of communities. Moses says this, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to obey and to serve carefully all his commands, which I command you today, 
Then the Lord God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you because you obey the voice of God. Do you see the if then? If you obey, if you keep the commandments, then God will bless you. And it doesn't that sound like a message that we hear often repeated today? We come into church and we hear about what we should do, how we should live, how we should act. And if we can measure that standard, then, then we can achieve and enter into the blessings of God. All right, let's look at one from the new, Acts chapter 15. And I've, I've pretty well laid this one down already, but let's just read it in black and white. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, the brethren, the church, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, the sons of God. They taught the brethren and they said, unless, this is Acts 15, 1, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that's, that's not a Christocentric message, is it? That's a message of Jesus plus something. All right, so that's just one, one line of distinction. Paul's gospel leads to an all-sufficiency of Jesus, Jesus plus nothing. Another gospel always has the add-on, if you obey, uh, if, if you hearken to the voice of God, then he'll bless you. If you obey all of his commandments, he'll bless you. If you uh, are circumcised or if you don't, uh, smoke and cuss and chew and run with folks that do, you'll be saved. If, if you don't go to the movies, if you don't smoke, if you don't drink, all those things, then you'll be saved. See, And if you do those things, you're not saved. So that's a line of distinction. Let me give you another one. Paul's gospel leads to an increased dependency on Christ's effortless change in life. Another gospel leads you to self-sufficiency. It leads you to behavior modification, conforming to established religious patterns, uh, disciplining yourself, willpower, striving to become holy. And it puts the blessings of God dependent on obedience rather than simply his goodness. Do you see the distinction? <clears throat> what do you believe in your mind? What do you believe in your heart today? Do you believe that God blesses you because you're obedient? Or do you believe that God blesses you simply because of his goodness? If you believe that he blesses you because of his goodness, the goodness of God will lead you to change your mind about him. The goodness of God will lead you to the word repentance, metanoia, change of mind. So Paul's gospel teaches us that the blessings of God come to us because of the goodness of God. Now the distinction is this. Religion teaches us that the blessings of God come to us because we obey God. Because everything that we read in the black and white, we try to apply to us. Even though Jesus was teaching Jews, we try to apply it to us. Even though Jesus was trying to bring religious people to the end of themselves, we try to apply it to us. Paul's gospel teaches the blessings of God come simply because God loves you, cares for you, and wants to have you and make sure that you are blessed. All right, let me give you one more quick distinction before we move on. Paul's gospel leads to a Christ consciousness. Another gospel leads to a self-consciousness, a self-examination, and a wrong identity. 
So let me just say in conclusion, because this is I'm just reviewing the Christocentric thing. We got to move on. I've got four, four characteristics of Paul's gospel uh, that we need to lean on and understand that Paul is our theologian. But let me just let me wrap up this first point by saying this. Paul's gospel at the end of the day leaves you very simply enjoying the relationship that you have with the Lord. Paul's gospel at the end of the day leaves you uh, uh, dependent on him and not yourself. Paul's gospel at the end of the day helps you to realize that he has done all of the heavy lifting. And he's taken and embraced you and included you in the circle of life. Paul's gospel reveals your position without your pump, your push, your pull, or your religious effort. All right. So Paul's message, first of all, is Christocentric. Paul is our theologian. Paul the theologian brings a message that is Christocentric. All right, number two. Number two, Paul as our theologian brings us a message of the dominion over sin. A message of dominion over sin. And let me just, let me just put right under that. Sin is really a moot point. We make sin such a big deal. To the Father, it's a moot point. You, you say it is? Yeah, to him, as, as far as relationship is concerned. Does, does sin create difficulties and problems? Absolutely. Is the wage of sin death? For sure. It's not eternal separation from God, but the seed of death, the inability to walk in the abundant life that God has given to you comes through sin. Right? But sin as, as, as being judged by God or you being punished for your sins by God is a moot point. Within the seed of sin comes its own repercussion, right? You smoke cigarettes for 50 years, the repercussion may be lung cancer. Did God put lung cancer on you? Absolutely not. You chose, you chose that particular path knowing that that's not the way to go, right? But it didn't come from God. Sin to the Father is a moot point. Let me read a scripture to you from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read this. I'm going to read several verses. Let me read down 10 through uh, maybe 17. I'm not sure. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12. I'll stop when I think I've got the point driven home. It says, but this man speaking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, Sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. All right, so there's no more sacrifice for sin. You, you don't kill a sheep. You don't kill a, a, a bull. You don't uh, try to make a, some kind of blood atonement for sin. Jesus made one sacrifice of sins forever, and he sat down indicating that it's done. There's no more sacrifice to be made. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being perfected. So even though we look at our life, we look, you know, and say, okay, look, I foul up, I mess up, I sin. You're in the process of being perfected in his sacrifice, perfected forever. He's already judged you, put you into that position of perfection, even though you're on the journey of perfection. You understand what I'm saying? But what, what I'm driving at here is that sin is basically a, a moot point. He says in verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember absolutely no more. Verse 18, where there is, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin, including 
offering a prayer of forgiveness. See, 1 John 1, 9 has become the sacrifice for sin. We have felt that if we confess our sin, he forgives our sin, and he doesn't forgive it till we confess it. I'm not going to get into 1 John 1, 9, but that's out of context. And again, take into consideration he's speaking to a Jewish audience that is used to making sacrifice for sin. So John is, is working on this transitional generation, moving them out of and bringing them to a realization that he's already faithful and just to forgive us our sins. All right? So he's, he's, there's some teaching there that needs, maybe needs to be done if you're holding out of that 1 John 1, 9 as it's been drilled into us from church. But understand what we just read from Hebrews. He says, your lawless deeds and your sins I remember no more. There's no more sacrifice for sin. This one man, Jesus, after he had offered a sacrifice, sat down, signifying it's finished, it's done, there is no more. Now, what we have done, and I see so many people that are still fighting the flesh, they're fighting sin, they're fighting the devil, they're creating a life where their entire focus is on sin, and they have a, a, a consciousness of sin in their mind, and that does nothing but fuel the power of an enemy that has already been annihilated. See, and this whole battle, this whole thing goes on in our mind. It goes on in our head. And uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul addresses this. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, he says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. Period. Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. That's exactly what he says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. Let me say this to you. We don't have a sin problem. What we have is a grace problem. The, your flesh will fight sin in its own effort. It will fight, and it will fight, and it will fight. It will try to avoid. It will try to stop. It will try to empower itself so that it can defeat sin, but it never works. Grace eliminates sin by removing the desire to sin. There's no temptation without a desire. Now, I'm going to give you a little insight here. If you will stop warring against your problems with your flesh, and you'll begin to refocus your thinking on him and you'll step back and you'll start to rest in that focus on him and stop fighting it. You're going to find, now look, it, I'm not telling you it's going to happen in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or two days or a week. But there will come into your life a gradual, effortless change as you stop fighting against what it is that you think has hold of your life. The war stops when you stop warring. It's very simple. Sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me say this. If you have a sin problem, there's something that you just can't stop. You've made a law against it. You have said, I will not do that again. I will stop this. Uh, I, I, I'm going to get the victory on this. Oh, that's a big one. I'm going to get victory over that. And the more times you say that, the stronger the thing becomes. Right? The way that you defeat it is you, remove your, is you change the focus. If you have a sin problem, 
remove the law that you have instituted that is against that very thing that you're trying to eliminate. And instead begin to see yourself focused in what he has done for you. Begin to, re look, begin to rest back into that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 56 and verse 57, he says that sin, the strength of sin is the law. So every law that you institute, you know, you're, you're 40 pounds overweight. So you say, I will not eat desserts until I lose 40 pounds. What happens? In about two days, you buy a pie and you eat the whole pie. Because you have just created a law now that has fanned the desire to break it. And that happens in whatever category you want to go in. Now, if you, have, if you have an addiction to drugs, let me say this. If you have an addiction to drugs or cigarettes or nicotine or, you know, I, I'm addicted to uh, coffee. I'll, I'll admit it. I, I need that caffeine jolt in the morning. That's a physical thing. That's going to take some time to get out of. But while it's taking some time for your body to adjust, you need to... Uh, you need to not make a law against that thing because the law that you put against it will continue to pull you toward it. So while, you're, while your body is flushing out of the addiction, you need to rest. And you know what? If you, if you blow it, if you fall off the wagon, if you uh, say, I'm going to quit smoking, and, and you take that law out of there and you just, you just rest in him and you end up smoking a cigarette or two, that's fine. Don't get under guilt and condemnation for it because you have erased the law. You've, you're taking this, the, the, the strength away from that thing that has held you captive. I hope I'm making some sense to you. The way that we become victorious over things is not try to make our flesh stronger. The way that we become victorious over things is to understand that in our flesh we can't do it. And so we need him to do the effortless change in us, which comes as we rest in him, we trust him, and we believe him to be able to change us. We can't change us. He changes us. So when you rest in that truth, when you rest in that fact, it gives him the right of way. It gives him the, the ability to come in and begin to turn the dials and make the adjustments in your life that will create the effortless change. All right, so let me again, let me, as I did with the uh, Christocentric message, let me just, let me give you three, three uh, contrasts between how our theologian Paul taught victory over sin and dominion over sin, over what maybe you have come through hearing another gospel. All right, another gospel magnifies sin, magnifies its power, magnifies your need to battle it all of your life. It magnifies the devil's ability to keep you oppressed, constantly fighting for relief. It, it, it will highlight verses like, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned. You're in sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it ignores verse 24 that says that we have been justified freely by His grace. So you have to look at that and say, is the justification that comes freely by His grace, is it stronger than, than the all that have fallen into sin? Which is stronger? Is it the justification or is it the sin? It'll, it'll, it'll constantly uh, emphasize verses like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But it will ignore part B of that verse that says the gift of God is eternal life. So you have to ask yourself, which is stronger, the sin or the gift? 
The wage or the gift, which one is stronger? Paul's gospel drives sin to the light. And it brings sin's demise by extracting the desire to sin as grace begins to swallow up these laws that we have instituted in our mind that in fact has empowered the sin that we felt we could never escape. It removes the law. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I mean, most of us have come through our Christian experience trying in our flesh to perfect ourselves. It has led to frustration. It has led to guilt. It's led to condemnation. We weren't listening to our theologian, were we? Our theologian talks about dominion over sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you if you listen. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. So you have to take grace and apply it to the law. And grace says there is no law. Christ, Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believes, especially your church laws, especially the man-made laws that have ensnared you and kept you in guilt. All right, Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. First, first thing that Paul says about dominion over sin, uh, it drives sin to the light. Uh, grace swallows it up. Uh, the other gospel magnifies sin, the power of sin, the power of the adversary keeps you warring and fighting and battling the sin all of your life. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, right? When we were in the flesh. Now you're moving out of the flesh into the spirit. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death, right? You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't experience life, Paul says, when you were caught in that snare. When we were in the flesh, we weren't walking in the Spirit, we weren't walking in grace, we weren't walking in what our theologian Paul is teaching us. Sinful passions were aroused, what? By the law. The things that we, we built up that we couldn't do, do not, touch not, taste not, don't, don't enter into. It fanned, it fanned the sin. He said they were at work on our members and they bore fruit to death. They, they bore fruit to a disconnect from life. He goes on in verse 6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law. All right? So there is, there is no more fanning of the arousal to sin by the law because we've been delivered from the law having died to what we were being held by so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So your true identity of verse 6 renders harmless and ineffective that old influence of law that held us so tight. Look, you're not a sinner held captive. You're not a sinner held captive. You're a new creation learning by revelation to walk in the newness of life. That old sin-natured software was nailed to the cross. All right, if, you, if, I, if, I, if you haven't caught the drift, let me, let me make it very simple. You don't, you don't defeat sin, you don't deal with sin by laying down the law. You don't defeat sin by the don't do's. 
You instead, the way you defeat it is you reckon yourself alive in Christ. You take your focus and your mind and you set it on grace and love, which are the empowerments of the Father himself to affect lasting change. All right, here's another, here's another comparison. Another gospel makes forgiveness a fuzzy issue. You're never fully sure that you're, you've met all the requirements to be forgiven. You're not sure the confession was good enough. You're not sure the, the, the repentance was strong enough. It was deep enough. You're, you're not sure you were sorry enough, remorseful enough. Another Jesus only died for the sins that you confess. It gets fuzzy because you're always in a place of unconfessed sin. You ever, <laughs> I bet some of you are in the trap that I used to be in. I mean, for years before I'd go to sleep at night, I'd say, Father, you know, I, I, I'm looking back over the day and if there are any sins that I committed that I, I don't remember, just forgive me for those. And if I had done anything, you know, got angry with somebody or uh, blew my stack at somebody to stop, like whatever it was, I'd say, Father, forgive me for all that. And of course, you know, you put the blanket covering on. Anything else I've done today, forgive me, because you didn't want to go to sleep with any sins, right? Things which kept you guilty and condemned, always repenting, uh, uh, more because you would make the promise I'll never do that again and then when you do it again you have to repent of it and it gets even stronger. It's a very fuzzy issue. Religion makes forgiveness of sin a very fuzzy issue. You're never sure if you've repented enough, been sorrowful enough, uh, turned your back on it enough, lived free of it long enough to really uh, experience the forgiveness. Paul's gospel makes forgiveness all God-sided. And that's a beautiful part of it. Because Paul, our theologian, makes forgiveness take place while we were still sinners. Has nothing to do with your confession, your belief, your faith. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what our theologian said. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Let me give you two real quick verses. Because this, 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 this may free somebody up right here. Colossians chapter 2. Paul takes this whole forgiveness thing and he just says, you know what? You're never going to be able to confess and be sorry enough to get forgiven to satisfy your mind, which feels guilt and condemnation. So let me help you out. Paul says, while you were yet in sin, he forgave you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. He says, and being dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh in that condition... He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of your trespasses. Somebody ought to jump up and run around the living room or the kitchen right there. While we were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, in that condition, he made, alive, he made us alive with Christ. How did he do that? He just took the slate and wiped it clean, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. Now, he tells the Roman church the same thing because, I mean, they were, they were going for it in Rome. Romans chapter 8 and uh, um, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. He says much the same thing. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul's gospel has a target. It's a totally different target than religion. Religion's target is to keep you in guilt and condemnation and fear to keep you coming, 
to keep you listening, to keep you hearing, to keep you tithing. Paul's gospel has a different target. Paul's gospel has a target of security and freedom in, a, in assuring us that God remembers our sins no more. Paul's bullseye is saying, guys, while you were still steeped in sin, he forgave you all the sins and made you alive with Christ. All right, so let me give you one more, one more quick uh, contrast here. Another gospel tells you how unrighteous you are. You ever go to church and you're just told that you're not measuring up, you're not good enough, you failed too many times. Tells you how unrighteous you are and at the same time puts pressure on you to appear righteous and to become perfect. So what, what, what religion does, what another gospel does, another gospel tells you how unrighteous you are, how bad you are, how sinful you are, and at the same time puts pressure on you to get up to a level of perfection and righteousness. Now, do you know what that leads to? So why, it leads to wearing a mask. So when we walk into church on Sunday morning, we appear to have it all together. It makes us hypocritical. We come, we come together with other Christians and, how are you, brother? Man, I'm blessed, fortunate, happy, and to be envied. Life could never be better. Everything is working so well. Let me tell you all the good things that happened to me this week, right? When really the guy had a really crappy week, was in an argument with a wife, They've talked about getting a divorce. The kids are rebellious. He's not doing well at work. But we can't let any of that break our facade and our veneer because religion tells us that we are worthless, that we're not very good, that all those things going on in our life, yeah, that's what makes you worthless, but you better work at becoming better. Paul's gospel, our theologian, promotes honesty and transparency. It covers us with a, a blanket of grace for our failures, our struggles, and our imperfections. Paul's gospel says, You loved and accepted by love himself that never fails for one person any of the time exactly like you are. So when we stop knowing ourselves after the flesh and we clothe ourselves in his love and grace, we can then be that Jesus to other people because we are now the genuine article, okay? All right, let, let, me, let me give you, uh, and I've got to hurry because I'm just about out of time. Let me give you two more real quick. All right, Paul's gospel, our theologian, gives us a gospel that releases peace and joy in our life continually. Peace and joy. You should, whenever you come together, when you leave church, when you turn this video off, when, you, when you're done with the digital cathedral on Sunday morning, or those of you that are watching it later, you went to church and now you're catching us later, when you, when you leave the church, shut off the broadcast, or you set down the book that you're reading from your favorite author, do you feel anxious? Do you feel insecure? Are you left wondering? Maybe a little fearful? Feel like you're all your, by yourself? Do you feel that way when you leave church? I hope you don't feel that way when you turn off the cathedral. Or do you have an infusion of peace and joy that makes you want to smile? Jump up, do a happy dance, and you can't wait to hear more of it. That is, that is such a, a, a test of Paul's theology. 
I mean, I read what Paul wrote and I want to read more. I want to meditate. I want to, I want to think about it because I, I want to squeeze every bit I can out of verses like Colossians 2.13 that tells me when I was dead, my trespasses and sins, that he made me alive with Christ, having forgiven me all my sins. That doesn't make me anxious, nervous, uptight, or fearful. It makes me say, Paul, tell me some more. See, when you hear the authentic gospel, it should release a joy-filled, natural response to Jesus. If the message that you're listening to, if the church that you're going to, or, you know, on Facebook, if you're hooked into some place and it doesn't reveal Jesus as your personal gift of righteousness that brings peace and joy into your life, you know what? You're listening to another gospel and another Jesus. Righteousness is a gift that is unique to Paul. Paul is the only one that taught righteousness as an undeserved gift. I could go on and on with this, but let me, let me just give you one more. Because this is important. Paul's theology, and this is what you have to question yourself. If you're hearing Paul's theology, the gospel will set you increasingly free. If the gospel you're hearing binds you up more, puts you under more restrictions, puts you under greater bondage and law, then you know what? You're not listening to the theologian that Jesus handpicked to deliver the message to us. Paul said it like this in Galatians 5. He said, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't return back to that mess. Some of the most unhappy Uptight, sour, angry, bound up, argumentative people I know are Christians that go to church every Sunday. And you know where they learn that? They learn it in church. What has bound them up is hearing another gospel. Every gospel promises you freedom, but another gospel puts the stipulations on achieving that freedom at such a high level that you cannot possibly attain it. There will always be one more thing. Every gospel promises freedom, but a counterfeit gospel never delivers the freedom to you. It keeps you in the realm of it just being a promised freedom. So when you, the day comes that you discover that you can't perform to the level that you think you need to perform to be free, you're going to get frustrated. If you're not hearing Paul's message... If you're not hearing theology from Paul himself, you're not going to come out from underneath that bondage. See, a true follower of grace will fight for your freedom. That's why I'm, I'm here on Sunday morning. I fight for your freedom, man. I'm not, I'm not going to stand for you to get under bondage again. I draw a line in the sand and I say, this is grace, this is not grace. This is the finished work of the cross. This is you trying to finish the work of the cross. Let me just begin to wind up by saying this. If you've bought into a toxic gospel of grace plus your performance, if you've bought into a toxic gospel of grace plus something you need to do, then you're not listening to Paul, a theologian. These four that I have given you, the message is Christocentric, right? It's a, it's a, it's a dominion over sin. It releases peace and joy. And it sets you perpetually free. If the gospel that you're hearing does not meet those four standards, then you know what? I would walk away because it's not bringing life to you. It's bringing death. Here's what Paul proclaims. 
Here's Paul's theology in a nutshell. Paul's theology says that you are right now today, just as you're sitting there in your living room or your car, wherever you're at, listening to this, this teaching, wherever you're at with us today at the Digital Cathedral, Paul says already, you might be sitting there smoking a joint. I don't care. You might be sitting there on a hangover from last night. doesn't matter. Paul said you are loved. <clears throat> you're forgiven. You're saved. You're accepted. You're holy. You're righteous. You're dead to sin. And you're a brand new creation. The gospel that Paul teaches, and I'm done, is good news from start to finish. There is no bad news. And friend, that's the gospel that we proclaim at the Digital Cathedral and we proclaim no other. And I want you to be with me Wednesday night. We're going to follow up on this and we're going to take it just a little bit deeper and another level because there, I, I, I did about half the message this morning. There's some things I want to get out that helps us to know that Paul's a theologian that we're tapped into in the New Covenant. He was handpicked by Jesus. If what you're listening to doesn't produce the freedom that Paul, that Paul teaches then I would, I would suggest that you get yourself somewhere else. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday night, next Sunday morning, back at the Digital Cathedral.